Well, as you look around the world today, morally speaking, our culture has lost its way, and there's nothing surprising about that. But what it is, it is both discouraging and saddening. It's discouraging because we see the moral heights from which we have fallen to the point where the moral confusion in our culture is so out of control, it's hard to think that things could actually get worse. But I suppose they could. I don't, for me, I'm like, well, what would that be? I don't even know what that would be, but it never underestimate the fallenness of fallen man. We'll find a way to dig the hole a little bit deeper. But it's saddening. It's not just discouraging, it's saddening because of the toll that we see taking, it taking on the world around us. We live in a world full of broken families, hurting kids, very lonely people. And that breaks my heart. It really, really does. Now, it has naturally, the state of our culture has led na naturally many believers to question, are we living in the final days before Christ returns? And this is a good question. It's an interesting question. Given what we read about scripture, you could make the case, it sure seems like it, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now tell me this doesn't describe our culture. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and still living in their house, ungrateful, unholy. Oh, did I say that out loud? Sorry, I was just thinking it. <laughs> ungrateful, unholy, heartless, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now, what most people don't know is that the last days actually started at Christ's first coming. The apostles talked about, we are in the last days. With Christ's first coming, the last days started. So we are living in the last days. And the truth be told, this this paragraph right here, this section of scripture could be descriptive of every generation that has come before us. Every generation that has come before us could say, yes, we had all of those things in our generation. And obviously, though, we might, it seems like the birth pangs, the, the contractions are happening more and more, faster and faster. And uh, they're getting, you know, more and more intense. And like I said, this has led many to wonder, are we the terminal generation? That is the final generation before Christ's return. Now, that's open for debate. Let me tell you why I brought this up. Here's the danger in my mind when we get too fixated on are we the final or terminal generation. And the danger is, is that we develop a defeatist attitude, a defeatist attitude. Given how bad culture is and we think Jesus is coming back any day, so we take the type of attitude that says, well, let's just throw in the towel, right? Let's call it a day. Let's abandon ship. There isn't much that we can do. Culture spiraling out of control. Christ is coming back any day. I'm certain of it. I know all the other generations that came before us are wrong, but I know better. I know that I'm right. Jesus is coming back this in my lifetime. But the fact is he might not. And the danger is, is we develop a defeatist attitude. We look at culture and go, culture's lost. Christ is coming back. I give up. I give up. And I have to be somewhat, I have to be honest, I have, I have somewhat adopted this attitude at times in my Christian walk where it's, I look at culture and I'm going, Lord, there they go. You know, come, come Lord Jesus, sing Maranatha till he comes, come Lord Jesus. And that's what I want to do. But biblically speaking, I know that this is not the attitude Christ wants me to have or you to have. Listen, the world is full of hopeless people. The last thing the church needs to be is filled with hopeless people as well, right? The world should look at the church and find what? Hope. 
They should look to us going, what is it about you? The world we live in is difficult. It is immoral. There's crazy things going on. Where can we look for hope? If not the church, where are they going to find it? And that's why I say the danger is, is that we develop a defeatist attitude. So this morning, I want to look at how the ministry of the Holy Spirit can give us incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world. This is why we can have incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world. And that is because the Holy Spirit is alive and well. So in last week's sermon, we looked at the passage where Jesus said it was to everyone's advantage, to the disciples' advantage that he leave because when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come. And I said, it's almost blasphemous to think that there could be a scenario better than having Jesus stay with us. But he said, no, there's actually a scenario better than me staying with you. I'm going to leave and the helper is going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be with you forever. Just as the Son of Man came to dwell among us, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. Now, if that were the full extent of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this lifetime, that would be more than enough for you and me to rejoice daily, that the Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us and help us and encourage us and strengthen us. But the fact of the matter is, that's just the tip of the iceberg with regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit during this lifetime. Believe it or not, one of the Holy Spirit's main ministries during this lifetime isn't necessarily the work that he will do amongst believers, which is tremendous. But it's the work that he's going to do among non-believers. See, it wasn't just to the advantage of believers that the Holy Spirit left. It was the to the advantage of the whole world that, the Holy, that Jesus left and the Holy Spirit arrived. And the passage that we started looking at last week makes this really clear. So church, it's my honor to take us to the word of God today. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We looked at John 16 last week, 1 through 7. And now we're going to look at 8, 9, 10, and 11. But I'm going to do a little bit of overlap. I'm going to start work, uh, in verse 6. This is, where, this is where we kind of left off last week. So church, hear the word of God today. But because I, Jesus, have said these things to you, the disciple, disciples, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And now our passage this week. And when he comes, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Amen. Church, hear the word of God this morning. And it's precisely because of this passage, again, that we can have incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world. And that is because the Holy Spirit is going to be working and is working all around the world not just amongst believers, but amongst non-believers, those who are morally lost in a society that is morally lost. Now, according to our passage, the Holy Spirit's going to work in three specific ways. They're right here. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and, and judgment. And judgment. He's going to have a threefold ministry across the world, across this planet, amongst those who do not believe. Listen, I don't care how messed up this world might be right now. If the Holy Spirit's at work, there's a reason for the ch church to be hopeful. Amen? Amen. Now listen, we all want Jesus to come back. We're dying for Jesus to come back. But if he doesn't come back in our 
generation, you know what the next best thing is? The next best thing is that the Holy Spirit move in such a way that the greatest revival the world has ever seen happens in our generation. Amen? I want to be in heaven in eternity and tell people, hey, they go, hey, when did you live? And I said, well, I lived at the beginning of the 21st century. And they're going, oh my goodness, you were part of that generation? When the Holy Spirit moved and eight, you know, there's 8 billion people on the planet and millions, if not billions of people got saved. Yeah, I was part of that generation. The Holy Spirit was working in me and through me as I was praying. I want to be a part of a generation that for all eternity, this generation is spoken about. So let's unpack this a little bit. The first reasons Christians can have incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world is because of the Holy Spirit's convicting the world of sin. It says this, let me just go back. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then it says this in verse nine, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now the world, the word convict carries kind of a negative connotation in our minds because when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it can be somewhat painful. But the fact of the matter is one of the most merciful things the Holy Spirit ever does is convict sinners of their sin, is to convict those held captive to sin and show them their exceeding need to believe on Jesus. And all of us who are believers here today can be thankful for this aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry because that means the Holy Spirit did this very work in your life and in my life. Amen? Folks, if you have nothing, if you have one thing to be thankful about today, be thankful your name is written in the book of life, that the Holy Spirit had mercy on you and convicted you of your sin and pointed you to Christ. Amen? Now, for many Christians, it seems like the world is headed down the tubes. I get it. I see it. And it also feels like there isn't a whole lot we can do about that. Folks, I suppose that's true if you take the Holy Spirit out of the equation. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no hope for this world because it's on you and me. And if it's on you and me, goodbye, right? We can try to vote in a better world. It's not going to happen. We can try to educate the world to a better place, but that's only going to do so much. But with the Holy Spirit, there is nothing but hope for this world. Folks, if we learn anything from the New Testament, it's this. It doesn't matter how bleak things might look. When the Holy Spirit's moving, nothing can stop him. Amen? I know this might be hard, what I'm about to say, but this is going to blow some of you away. The first century Roman culture was just as bad, if not worse, than ours in many ways. <laughs> you know the passage I just read about how bad things were going to be in the last days? If you read about first century Roman culture, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. On top of that, Roman culture was being ruled by emperors who were exceedingly evil, corrupt, and immoral men. You think you're living in an immoral time with immoral leaders, whether that on all, you know, just in general around the world. The first, we don't have anything on the first century. Nero is perhaps the best known of these. You know that name, Nero. He was a sexual deviant who murdered his own wife and mother and slaughtered untold numbers of Roman citizens. Nero also confiscated senators' property and severely taxed people for their own benefit. You think you're overtaxed right now? Try being a first century Roman citizen. During Nero's reign, Rome burned for nine days. Many thought he started the fire and let it burn. Why? So that he could expand the palace. That's what you call eminent domain in its finest. How about this name, Caligula? You've heard that name, right? 
He actually was emperor before Nero. Nero was his nephew. The wake of carnage he left behind exceeds that even of Nero. Caligula opened a brothel in the palace, raped whomever he wished, committed incest, and killed for greed. He murdered his own father, grandmother, and relatives. And like Nero, he slaughtered untold numbers of innocent people. Or take the emperor who was made famous by the movie Gladiator. You guys seen the movie Gladiator? It's okay to admit it if you did. It's fine. You're like, can I say that I saw it? Yeah. Commodus. The son of Ma uh, Marcus Aurelius, according to, if you haven't seen, I, I normally don't recommend movies because if there's one bad thing in it, I usually get blasted for it, but it's a fascinating movie, Gladiator, just for the history of it. But um, according to most historians, um, Commodus, he was a, de a, a debauched and corrupt megalomaniac. Do you know what a megalomaniac is? It's somebody who's obsessed with power. They just want power. They're greedy for power. The, the, the sex and the money and all that other stuff doesn't bother them. It's they want power. And he was a megalomaniac who viewed himself as a reincarnated Greek god. Can you guess which one? Hercules. Now, Zeus would be a good one. He thought he was, he thought he was Hercules. Of course, every man thinks he's Hercules, right? Don't, don't we all? <laughs> what happened? What happened? Why was there hope? among a small band of men following Jesus and women following Jesus in the first century, why was there hope when the world's greatest superpower, Rome, which was being led by exceedingly wicked emperors who were seemingly beyond redemption, why was there hope in the eyes of this young, small band of Christians? I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit was at work. Amen? The Holy Spirit was at work. It doesn't matter how bad culture or the cultural elites might be. When the Holy Spirit is at work, folks, anything is possible. If you need proof of that, just read your Bible. The early church was filled with people who were once so seeped in sin that any hope for their redemption, I'm sure, seemed impossible to the first century church. Let me prove it to you. Listen to this passage. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here comes Mary Ellen. Let's give her a big hand. She's going to turn down the air. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Okay, what does it say? And such were some of you. Hey, early church, you were delivered from sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. You were in that lifestyle. You have been delivered. How come? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if the current moral state of our culture is showing us anything, it is showing us that the harvest is indeed plentiful, perhaps more plentiful than it has ever been in the history of the world. Listen, if the Holy Spirit could transform the first century church, or the first century Roman culture, in less than a generation, what can he do in this generation? Let's believe him for big things, for great things. Amen? Amen. Let's be a generation who believes and has hope. Jesus is coming back. Amen. But until then, I want to be a person who has hope for this generation and is praying big prayers and believing the Holy Spirit to do great things. Now, this leads us to the second reason Christians can have incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world, and that is the Holy Spirit's ministry, whereby he will convict the word, world concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, the Holy Spirit cannot convict the world of its own righteousness because it has none. 
So the righteousness being spoken of here is clearly a reference to Christ's righteousness. See, it's really the flip side of the point we just talked about. The Holy, one of the Holy Spirit's main work amongst non-believers is going to be convict them of their unbelief, of, of their sin. But at the same time, here, he's going to be convicting them of the opposite, that Christ is righteous. You're sinners, but Christ is righteous. He's the righteous Son of God. And the key to understanding this is this little section right here. Because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So what in the world is Jesus saying there? Well, Jesus is essentially to the right hand of the Father is the supreme vindication of Christ. The world condemned Christ and nailed him to a cross, but God vindicated him by raising him from the dead and seating him, Christ, at his right hand. God would not raise an imposter from the dead, nor allow a fraud to sit at his right hand. But the fact that God did this with Jesus, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, is the supreme vindication that Jesus is the Lamb without blemish. He is the Son of God, the Son of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of that very truth. You want a great example of this in the Bible, of the Holy Spirit doing this very thing? The first martyr, Stephen, right before he's martyred, he's going to be stoned to death. He said the most fascinating thing. Listen to what he said. Acts chapter 7. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's about to be martyred. So what comes out of his mouth right now is incredibly important. What's he going to say? He's going to say this. Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, soli deo gloria, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What did Jesus say in our passage? He says this, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. In other words, when I go to the Father, that will be my supreme vindication that I am the righteous son of God. And here he is about to be martyred and he says, I see Jesus. He could have said, I see Jesus, the savior of the world. But he says, no, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is the Holy Spirit doing exactly what this uh, John 16 says he's going to do. He's going to point people to Jesus at the right hand of God, the righteous son of God who has been risen and vindicated. And he said, behold, he just says it twice. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As a matter of fact, we see the Holy Spirit testifying to the righteousness of Christ, even in the Old Testament. As he carried along the prophets of the Old Testament, they gave prophecies about the coming Messiah. You want to hear a fascinating prophecy about the coming Messiah? Listen to this. Jeremiah, filled with the Holy Spirit, writes this about the coming Messiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a what? Righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Before even Jesus, before Jesus even set foot on this earth, the Holy Spirit was prophesying through Old Testament prophets that the righteous one is coming. And though the world condemned him and crucified him, God vindicated him and raised him and set him at the right, his right hand. And the Holy Spirit is going to testify to that. In this age, he's going to convict people of their sin and say, look to the righteous one, the son of God, the lamb without blemish, who can save you. So no wonder why we see the apostle Paul writing this. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Again, folks, I don't care how bad this world is. And it's messed up right now. And for, I can't imagine it getting worse, but I suppose it can. But even if it does, we should be a people of hope. Don't you believe 
The world should look at us and go, what do you have? Listen, I said it before, I'll say it again. If the world had any idea of the helper that was inside of you, the paraclete, the comforter, the, the one that has come alongside and to dwell in you, just, they would be beating down your front door, begging you to tell them how you got that and how they can have it. This brings us to the third reason Christians can have incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world, and it's this, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now this statement, because the ruler of this, so he's going to, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to convict of judgment. So, so he's going to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This statement, because the ruler of this world is judged, is referring to the fact that Christ brought judgment upon Satan at his first coming. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Something happened at Christ's first coming. You can debate what it is, but something significant happened. Jesus said, you cannot plunder the strong man's house unless you first bind the strong man. There was some type of binding or casting out of this world of Satan at Christ's first coming. And you say, well, if he's cast out, why is there still sin and why is he still tempting us? I'm not saying he was completely uh, stripped of all power, but he was severely limited in some significant way. He was bound. Uh, as the scriptures say, let me give you an example. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So in some regard, Satan was bound. Um, and he was cast out, and his power was severely limited. Um, First John says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So in some sense, the devil's work was destroyed at Christ's first coming, and it's kind of a both and. It's, it's destroyed in one sense, but it's going to be destroyed in its fullest sense when Jesus comes back. And it's, here's the point, it's this very truth that the Holy Spirit is going to be actively convicting the world about. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world that Satan is a judged and defeated enemy who no longer has the power to enslave people if people will simply turn to the righteous one seated at the right hand of God. To put it another way, the Spirit will convict the people of this world that the way to be delivered out of this world is to trust in the one who has overcome this world. Amen? Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is going to convict the people of this world that the way to be delivered out of this world is to trust in the one who has overcome this world. Jesus is the ultimate victor who is now seated at the right hand of God the Father with all authority in heaven and earth having been given to him. And just as Christ brought judgment upon Satan, he too will one day bring judgment on all who reject him. Did you guys see this in the news? U.S. Newsweek said this. This was just recent. Satanic temple sues states for infringing on religious abortion beliefs. Um, so the satanic, those that are a part of the satanic church in America are getting pretty, uh, they're getting pretty crafty uh, because what they're doing is they're saying, abortion, you can't deny my right for an abortion because it's part of our religion. So they're arguing it on religious, on a religious basis. Now, this article breaks my heart, but maybe not for why you think. It, of course, it breaks my heart because of all the innocent lives that are at stake, the babies that are at stake. It breaks my heart there. But let me ask you a question. Are, is there hope for those that are involved in the satanic church here in America that are doing this? Is there? Is there? Because my gut wants to say no. I want to call down fire from heaven. Wipe them out, God. Let them have it. That's what I want. That's what my flesh wants. And it wants it bad. But wouldn't it be great a year from now, 
a new article in the Newsweek magazine that said, incredible, incredible things are happening. People leaving the satanic church and becoming Christians. Now you go, that's impossible. <laughs> Back to the passage I read. The kingdom of heaven, uh, revilers, swindlers, um, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You want to know what else the early church was filled with? People who were involved in pagan religions who were so steeped in pagan religions, worshiping false demons, and yet the early church was filled with people that had been delivered even in that, from that. Listen, if the Holy Spirit could deliver people out of paganism and Satanism in the first century, can he do it in the 21st century? You bet he can. Let's believe big things. I read an article like that and my blood boils when I should be praying to the Spirit and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, work. Save those people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Work mightily. Never forget, folks, what truly is going to change the culture in which we live isn't necessarily going to be more education, better politics, or new scientific discoveries. What is going to change culture is when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and transforms people's hearts. That's it. The Holy Spirit can produce far better, far more lasting change in the lives of people than any politician you elect or law you hope to pass. Many of us in here today we want, we're hoping for America. We're praying for America. We're like, Lord, save America. Let us, let us get back to being a moral, just, you know, good nation in all, in all those respects. And we think the way that we're going to do that is with our vote. You're going to do it with your prayers, folks. You're going to do it when you pray and believe and ask the Holy Spirit to work mightily across this land and around the globe. The Holy Spirit can produce far better, far more lasting change in the lives of people than any undergraduate degree, master's degree, or PhD. Again, if you need proof of this, just read your Bible. When the Spirit moves, no matter how bleak it is, he can't be stopped. He turned the Roman world on its head in one generation. Now here's some good, more good news. This applies to the individuals that each of us have in our lives who are not yet believers. Brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We all have people in our lives who don't believe, and some of them are so hard-hearted they seem beyond hope. Do I hear an amen? Yeah, we do. We do. What might seem impossible to your eyes is anything but impossible when you factor in the Holy Spirit and his convicting work. Listen, it is so easy to give up on those that we love the most. In some respects, I find it easier in my mind to believe that Satan can, that Satan, that God can take a Satanist and make him a believer than some of the people in my family that don't believe, right? I'm like, Lord, I know you don't know this person like I know this person. They're so hard-hearted. There's no way. There's more hope for the Satanist than them. But I love you because you're my brother or my sister. You know, I, you're my... Folks, will we believe? The message today is simply this, believe and have hope. You are part of the greatest organization, movement, whatever you want to call it, in the history of the world. That is the kingdom of God advancing around the world in every generation, conquering the hearts and lives of people. Folks, there is just as much hope in this generation as there was in the first century. Do you believe it? Do you? I hope you do. Let's not have a defeatist attitude and a pessimistic attitude. I pray it comes back, but if not, the next best thing is, Lord, spark a revival. Spark a revival in my home, in my neighborhood, at my place of work, around this globe. God, do great things and let me be a part of it. So that when I'm in heaven, 100 billion years from now, and I meet somebody I've never met, and they said, when, when did you live? And I say, the beginning of the 21st century, they're going to go, you were there? I go, yes, I was. I was there for perhaps the greatest movement of the Spirit since the first century. 
It could be that the Holy Spirit is waiting for you and me to boldly believe before he boldly moves. I'm worried that the 21st century church has become too, too pessimistic, starting with this guy, and not optimistic enough. Folks, listen, your unsaved loved ones can ignore you. Good luck trying to ignore the Holy Spirit. You pray for them and just say, Holy Spirit, knock on their door. And if they don't answer the door, you know the Holy Spirit does? He kicks it in. He can't be stopped. I want to finish with just this quick thought. Do you remember in the Old Testament when God said to Abraham, you're going to have, you and your wife are going to have a son, even though you're really, really old. And Abraham's like, what? How is that possible? And you remember what God, the question that God asked Abraham, he said this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Here's the challenge, folks. Instead of always looking at the world like I tend to do through the lens of doom and gloom, let's be different. Let's be a generation of people that are different. Let's start looking at the world through the lens of hope and possibility. So here's the challenge. With the help of the Holy Spirit, start looking at the world and those in your life, the place you work, the place you live. Start looking with hope and possibility and start praying, God, move mightily here. Blow me away, God. Let my jaw hit the ground when I see how you work. Amen? Let's pray and believe. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you this day and we thank you, God, that you again are so merciful and kind to us. Soli Deo Gloria, to you alone be the glory. Holy Spirit, we pray that as we leave, that we would be a group, a generation of Christians who are hopeful. God, that we would believe that you can do great things in this generation, even though things look lost and the, and the chips are down and things are exceedingly just wicked and immoral. God, may we believe great things in this generation. Here's what I want you to do. Just keep your heads bowed. I want you to pray for two things. First of all, I want you to think in your mind of a group in our culture that seems beyond redemption. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to move in that group. Number two is I want you to think of someone in your life who seems beyond redemption. And I want you to pray for them. Go do that right now. 